You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. Welcome to the show. If you remember on the 5th of December 2018, we had a interview with Brad Stain. Brad Stain now stays in America and he had come out to South Africa to meet with his publishers, meet with his friends regarding a book that was in the pipeline called Undercover with Mandela's Spies, the story of the boy who crossed the square. It was a very emotional story that uh, we heard that day about Brad's experiences as a teenager in the Stratum in Pretoria when um, the Witwolf, Baron Stratum, assassinated innocent black people that were crossing the square that day and the impact that it had on Brad's life going forward. Well, the good news is the book has now been published and Brad Stain is back in South Africa. Not just is he back in South Africa for his book launches, but he's right here in studio with me today to chat about Undercover with Mandela Spies. Brad, welcome to the studio. Thanks, Chad. Great seeing you again, my friend. Brad, it's a long journey. It's uh, six months since we saw you. Um, it's incredible seeing your book in print. I picked up my copy from Jakarta Media two weeks back, and it has been a fascinating read from page one. How does it feel for you? Is it is it an anticlimax, or is it is it? Do you feel like you've you, you've unburdened? Well, I'm a little jet lag, so I don't know what I feel right now, but honestly, it's, it's, um, I, I did an interview earlier today and I walked in and, uh, all of a sudden my book was on the table there. I have, I hadn't even received a copy myself yet. So, um, you know, I knape myself. I'm going to pinch myself because it's, it's, it's visceral. It's, it's real. It's here now. So it's a, it's a fantastic feeling and, um, for all of you that are out there that have a, a goal and a dream and want to accomplish something, just stick at it and work hard. Tell me, having a, a co-writer must be very difficult because you you don't think alike, I'm sure. The person hasn't experienced what you've experienced and they now have to put your experiences in words. What was it like working with an accomplished writer like Mark Fine? You know, I... Was very blessed to, to, to find somebody like Mark Fine because in essence what he's done is he's taken 12 years of my writings, my scribbles, my, uh, moleskin notepads that I've been writing all over the, all, for all these years and I've, I just dumped it on him and, um, and, uh, y- you know, collectively we started going through everything. And, uh, you know, cause I, I left school when I was 17 straight after the massacre happened and I didn't finish, uh, my trick. I left at the end of standard eight and, um, you know, my, I didn't have a formal education. So putting sentences, structures, etc. together, you know, I did a little bit of it at high school, but, uh, you know, thank God I married a school teacher and I found a, a great co-author that helped me, um, uh, finish this book, but the book's my voice. You, you, if for those of you that know me, the book is very, the book is very much your voice. It's very intimate. I enjoy reading about um, your rugby practices, for example, in your rugby games, talking about um, how hard it was playing against the Afrikaans schools, not just because that they were rougher and tougher than you, but even the fields were rougher and tougher than the fields that you were used to. You talk about still having gravel under your knees, most probably, from some of those encounters. But what I took away from the book was was more 
the journey that you've encountered over these years, especially with regards to what happened to you, how it changed you as being this easy-go-lucky youngster, whistling, um, free to do what he wants, semi-realization of the reality of, of the South African situation with regards to apartheid, but having this childhood ripped from you, and now suddenly you've got this dark shadow that has followed you most of your life if it's not still there. Absolutely, it's definitely still there, you know. Um, uh, you know, I live with mental health, and, um, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. You know, for many, many years, I just didn't talk about it. But, um, yeah, so uh, you spot on, you know. I, I went to a Waldorf school where, you know, we believed in um, homopathic remedies and uh, aromatherapy and, um, you know, more of the holistic way of healing. And, um, you know, and uh, that notion of, 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 um, you know, the purity of life that I was experienced was ripped away that day and, and my life was turned around and totally upside, turned upside down and, um, you know, it changed. And, uh, you know, I had to start living with night terrors, for instance, and I had to learn, um, how to live with a terrible anger problem and uh you know i i heard a lot of people and you know over the years i've tried to reconnect with those people and and you know apologize and um you know talk through things and you know i've i've actually become friends with some of those people so it's it's just it's been an emotional roller coaster ride yeah Brad, you talk about your parents a lot especially about your mom and i remember one specific scene in the book is you you obviously lose time um, after this this horrific incident has taken place, and you've used your rugby jersey to try help plug the holes of of Kind Eyes, the man that you had seen on the square shot, who you had made eye contact with just prior to him being shot. And then your mom arrives at the scene, and she virtually takes control. She instructs the paramedics what to do. She makes sure that the man is taken care of. When your dad comes along, he's not too perturbed about the others. He's worried about you. He arrives with a cop friend of his. He looks you up and down. He shakes you, checks that you don't have holes in you, etc., what was the dynamic between you and your parents? And I know that you write that your mom was was very much a person who detested racists. So what was it like for you growing up in a town built around race like Littleton with a mother that was completely opposed to the apartheid structures? And how did your your dad fit into this family dynamic? Well, you know, they actually have a really beautiful story. My dad was studying to be... A Catholic priest, he was a Franciscan um, with a monastery, and my mother used to go play tennis at Nazareth House in Pretoria, and um, I guess that that's what happens when there's a beautiful girl, you know, and then she shows up with a cute little tennis um, skirt on and prances around the court, you know, that's going to get the most religious man's attention at some point. Um, you, you know, so they fell in love, and... Um, and you know it was was a, a blessing because my father was an older um, older chap and he didn't really think he was going to have a fam- family. So I ended ended up being a lot lamiki in the family. And um, you know my mother 
was more of a charismatic type of person with a big personality. She worked at the State Theatre in Pretoria for many years um, in public relations um, and with the ballet and uh, the opera department. And, um, you know, she just treated everybody with the respect that she would expect in return. Uh, you know, when I grew up, I didn't know about the Swat Khafar that a lot of the Afrikaans kids perhaps knew more about or, you know, some English families knew, knew more about. Uh, our Khafar was the Roy Khafar, you know, the uh, danger against communist influences and uh, them joining forces with the African National Congress. Um, you know, so that's and my dad was was Afrikaans growing up, but um, you know he was actually a police officer uh, before he joined the priesthood, and um, uh, he decided to leave because he didn't like how violent the police officers were to to blacks when uh, you know he had to do pass checks. You know, if if black folks were walking home uh, after sun after sunset. So the dynamic was was different, but uh, in you know their their culture at home was was a very kind and loving and caring culture. We're talking to Bradley Stain about his book Undercover with Mandela Spies. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Welcome back to Confidential Brief, broadcasting live in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM, worldwide on highfm.com. Today in studio with me is Bradley Stain. He has written a book, Undercover with Mandela Spies. Bradley, let's talk about you as an individual. Um, another aspect that I've found throughout the book is you keep on going back to, to these images of what happened at the square. And you talk about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And when we talk about PTSD today, it's acceptable. In 1988, it wasn't something that was so well known. We spoke about soldiers coming back from the borders being bossies. People that came back from World War I were shell-shocked. People that came back from World War II or the Korean War were regarded by society as just having seen things that they couldn't explain and were basically cast aside. We now know for a fact that a traumatic incident such as this has long-term effects. What effects did it have on you initially? And to this day, do you still feel those effects? Well, there's something that I, I, I remember as if it was yesterday, and that was when we got back from the square. Um, I got into the shower at home, and I remember washing um, kind eyes blood off my hands and getting it out, his blood out from under my fingernails. And while I was focused on that, I then looked down at my feet and saw the red going down the porcelain of the bottom of the bath and going down the drain. And it, it almost felt like a betrayal, um, that I had let kind eyes down and I was, um, washing him away and forgetting him. Um, the fact that I didn't do something, run straight him down and tackle him, although uh, you'll when you get to read my book, you'll see that I was very close to doing that. Uh, all those things have haunted me 
for years and years and years. Um, and then the notion of how can somebody um, you have such ultimate hatred towards um, individuals just because of the color of their skin. So my PTSD has been trying to understand these things and explain trying to talk them through like you would a father and a child for instance how to hash things out but i didn't have the psyche psychological care and treatment to go and speak to to somebody because like you said you know people knew what bosses was etc but we didn't really talk about it um, and, you know, there's been a lot of pain in this country that we, we haven't spoken about. And, and, you know, when you don't talk about these things, you know, the wound just festers. And that has been this PTSD that I've, I've lived with. And a lot of the guys, especially in my world, our world, etc., like, you know, toughen the hell up, you know, uh, pull yourself towards yourself or, you know, rock yourself rach and, you know, you're a tough guy. You know, I don't care how tough you are. At the end of the day, we are all human beings, and uh, we have all we all have empathy and we all have kindness. And therefore, you know, in order for us to love and be able to love other people, we have to love ourselves. I don't want to give the book away. And listening to what you've been saying about playing back, playing back, playing back in your mind, is is a typical symptom of. Of PTSD, but without giving too much away, there was another aspect that I took away from your book, which is something we still experience to this day in South Africa, and it it concerns me. In South Africa, every single day, within the township environment, etc., people are murdered violently, children go missing. We don't get to hear it that much about it. Um, the past weekend, a a white um, pair of 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 of, of of teenagers, or well, one was early twenties, one was a was a was in in, in their late teens, were killed um, near Benoni, and this is now front page news. It's everywhere that these two white um, youths were gunned down um, in their vehicle in Benoni. Yet we see this happening every day, everywhere, but we don't hear about it as much. And in your book, you talk about suddenly you were the face of the of the massacre. Built newspaper speaks about you as a survivor on the front page the following day. Meanwhile, it was black people that were actually gunned down. Now, you currently live in America, and there's this whole Black Lives Matter movement. Do you believe that, and, and, and I ask you this, um, from the heart, do you believe that there is still subtle racism that exists on a worldwide perspective where if you're white, you are going to get better treatment or there's going to be more focus on you than if you're a black victim? You know, there's, especially in, in, in this, um, subculture of society or whatever you, however you want to phrase it, uh, that, that we all live in, uh, today, all over the world, uh, you know, we have um, neo-Nazi um, um, groups re-emerging in um, European countries, uh, people that are, are more inclined to, to right-wing and radical right-wing ideologies. Um, you, you know, that's that's very much on the uprise. And, you know, the, the, 
you know, racism is there and, um, you know, but it's, it's, you're not born with it. You taught with, you taught about it. You indoctrinated into it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. We have it in the United States. We have it in South Africa. We have it and the extreme right in South Africa and the extreme left in South Africa. If it's not Steve Hoffmeyer saying something ridiculous, then it's Juju saying something ridiculous, you know. And, uh, even in the States, you know, we have, uh, we have our own pimple on our bum, uh, you know, in, in, in the White House. So, you know, we have our problems all over the world that all have a racist, uh, undertone to it. And it's, it's sad. And, you know, um, we as, as, as good human beings need to, um, you know, we need to deal with it. We need to address it and we need to talk about it. And that's a big message that I have in my book. You know, for instance, my opinion in 94, um, you know, election, a lot of the stuff was just swept under the rug instead of us being able to confront each other and speak about it and, and address everything that was conveniently. The word you use there that is, is sad and you're right. It is a sad indictment on society that uh, we have we have the situation where nationalism is rearing its ugly head where we have a situation where um neo nazis on the increase we're going to take a brief break when we come back i want to chat to you more about what happened after the Strader massacre you're listening to the confidential brief with chad thomas on high fm we're back with uh, Brad Stain, author of Undercover with Mandela Spies. He's flown to South Africa, especially for the launch of this book, which is going to be taking place over the next couple of weeks. We'll be giving you the dates and the venues um, of the book launches so that you can attend, purchase a book, meet the man, chat more about your experiences and uh, apartheid South Africa and perhaps how it impacted on your life. Brad, can I ask you this? Do you think relocating to America, starting a new life, was to try to get away from South Africa as a whole and what you'd experienced in South Africa? You see, that's that's where the perception of that is is so far from, from the truth. I didn't leave. I had to leave. You know, um, we were in Siles. Other people were exiles. The insiles were here making sure that the tear gas was wafting across the Cape Flats into the neighborhoods in Claremont and Newlands. You know, the um, ANC, MKDIS, Bontierville uh, military wing, those guys were the insiles, the ones that stayed behind and fought the struggle. The exiles, like I said, went away and come, came back later. We had to leave. There was an a, a attempt on our lives when the National Party security apparatus found out that we were covertly working for the African National Congress, for MK, for the Department of Intelligence and Security. And uh, we were instructed to leave and go into exile. Very fascinating. And something that... Uh, comes out in the book is the fact that there's so many twists and turns, it's quite unbelievable. You left school, um, you were naughty. This this experience at Tradem Scare had changed you completely. You landed up serving in the military, um, wearing the uniform of what you would later become to believe was in fact the oppressor. What was it like um, joining the military at such a young age, going through to Saldana, doing your basics in the Navy? You know, it was, um, 
it was it was really rough uh from the point of view of you know um i was probably one of the youngest people there you know i was 17 years old and um and uh you know it, a lot of people were uh cf citizen force guys my parents had to put me into the permanent force position um because i hadn't received call up papers yet because i was still too young and uh, they didn't know how to deal with me and my anger issues and my ptsd so you know what do most um white south african families do you know they ship their kids off um to to the army or to the south african defense force so yeah i ended up in the navy and uh, you know it was it it was it was difficult from the point of view of you know that i had to try and pull apart this rubik's cube of justifying what this extreme violence was that i saw and you know i'd act out and i'd be very violent you know for instance we'd have the cfs and the pfs from Dalglish and the other, um, you know, um, regiments on, on the naval base would have pillow fights, but the guys would put boots and irons in the pillows and, you know, uh, we'd do everything that we could to, you, you know, hurt people. <laughs> and, you know, why would we even go there? You know, it's, 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 it's an interesting, uh, it was an interesting time. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting, um, um, yeah, it's just interesting time. Well, let's, let's talk, let's talk more about that. The reason why, um, soldiers are recruited at a specific age is because they don't think properly yet. They haven't got the wisdom to understand that some of the actions that they may be performing may have future repercussions. And that's why your troops, your, in your case, your seamen before you became able seamen in the Navy, um, are of a specific age group. And the same can, can apply to the underworld. When you look at bike gangs, their prospects are normally youngsters. And when you look at the bouncing world, the, the youngsters that they recruit are these bodybuilders that uh, tend to have come from broken homes or blue-collar families. And these guys, they know they can, they can send them in where angels fear to tread. Do you think when you left the Navy and you decided to, to start um, a career in, in bouncing that you would be recruited into a very similar type environment? Because there isn't much difference between the structure of an underworld gang, um, a bouncing crew, a biker gang, and a military unit. Yeah, it's a, you've hit the nail, uh, spot on the head there and, uh, brilliant observation and, and it's, it's very true. You have a look at the United States, you know, the troops are, are very, very young and, um, you know, they, they very easily influenced and, um, yeah, the, the, the thing is with, with us, we had the security company called Project Group, uh, myself, Neil De Beer and, uh, Cyril Beaker. And, uh, within this, this company, it was like a military unit. It was very well oiled, uh, machine to a certain extent because, um, you know, we knew what needed to be done and we did it. And, um, and, you know, we were our own bosses and, you know, it was very easy for us to, um, get things done. 
you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy in 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 military organisations, infrastructures, etc. But um, you know, it 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 was it was it was pretty rough back in those days, and uh, you know, um, people used to shoot people very very easily um, over nothing, and uh, you know. I hate to use the the saying TIA, you know, this is Africa, but unfortunately, you know, um, you know, that's just the culture that 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 we grew up with in South Africa. A lot of the guys came back from the border, you know, with PTSD, uh, um, and uh, you know, a lot of them had a lot of anger issues themselves, and you know, um, would resort to violence. Still, to 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 this day, you know, if somebody ticks me off, the first thing I want to do is resort to violence. Um, but now that I'm older and wiser, you know, um, I thank God do think things through um, uh, a lot before I act out. But, you know, um, I'm glad I have these few compartments in my brain, you know, <laughs> uh, jump between, jumping between logic and reason. So let's talk about Cyril Beaker, who you brought up now. You had a group of individuals that um, were deep cover operatives uh, working um, against the the oppressors, working during that whole transformation period. You had the likes of Cyril Beaker, Russell Christopher, Jeremy Vieri, Andre Lincoln, and they made specific choices in life. When one looks at Vieri, he became a police general. So did Lincoln. Russell Christopher stayed within the intelligence structures. Um, his daughter, as a side note, landed up being involved with Radovan Kretscher and Ed Kretscher's child, but that's a side note. You had to bring that up. I had to. <laughs> but Cyril is the most fascinating of them all because Edward and Cyril, being brothers, Cyril being a karate kid, et cetera, their life took an interesting turn. Whereas where Edward at a stage went into law enforcement in George, Cyril stayed on the peripheries of both worlds. And 20 years after you had met him, he was assassinated. What is your take? Do you think that why did this group of people become so polar opposites where some went into law enforcement to the extreme, reaching the highest ranks within the police structures? Others went into the underworld where they also received the highest ranks bestowed upon underworld leaders. You know, it's a dirty job either way. Um, you know, being a knock, as we like to call ourselves, a non-official cover, uh, government agent, operative, uh, for the layperson, a spy, uh, you know, you deal with a lot of very um, uh, shady characters across across the spectrum, uh, from from uh, people that have the best of intentions. Um, you know, with regards to, um, you know, uh, getting their organization to where it needs to get to. And then you have other uh, individuals. Um, I, I'm sorry, those individuals do have some sort of ethical and moral compass. And then you get others that just don't. And, um, you know, that's that's what it boils down to. It boils down to whether you can actually live with yourself the next day or whether you can't. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, for God and country or whether it's for personal gain. 
And um, what you have in Major General Vieri and Major General Lincoln is patriots that, you know, this country should be very lucky to have uh, their service to the citizens of this country and to this government has been remarkable. And, um, you know, I'm just glad that they took that route instead of the other route because, um, you know, we unfortunately saw what happened to Cyril. Um, you know, but, you know, once you're in the gray world, it's it, it can be very difficult to... Um, um, to come back to 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 what is seen as 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 the um, legitimate um, world. We're talking to Bradley Stain about his book Undercover with Mandela Spies, written in conjunction with Mark Fine. It's the story of the boy who crossed the square. That being Brad Stain. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas in studio with Brad Stain, chatting about his book, Undercover with Mandela Spies. If you missed the first in the series of our conversations with uh, Brad, you can go to the Chai FM uh, website, go to podcasts, click on, click on Confidential Brief, and go to the 5th of December 2018 when we first had a chat with Brad relating to this book, Undercover with Mandela Spies. Now, this week, Tuesday, the 4th of June, at Exclusive Books Waterfront in the Cape Town between 6 and 8 p.m. is the launch of the book. On the 6th of June, also at Exclusive Books, this time in Hyde Park. Also from uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. is uh, the release of the book. And then on the 13th of June... Uh, from eight, uh, from six to eight p.m. at Brooklyn Exclusive Books in Pretoria. So there's dates again: Tuesday, the fourth of June, Waterfront; Thursday, the sixth of June, Hyde Park; and Thursday, the thirteenth of June, um, Exclusive Books, Brooklyn, Pretoria. Brad, let's get back to the book. Now that you felt the book in your hands for the first time, is there a sense of relief that your story is out there? Is there a sense of fear that people are going to look at you in a different way because you've been so open, so honest, so raw? You know, hokkel tokkel, ek voel ma, you know, um, <laughs> you know, a, a, at the end of it, at the end of the day, um, you know, there was a reason why I wrote this book and the reason I wrote this book was to tell the story that once again was just swept under the rug and that was the story of uh, the Stratum Square Massacre. You know, up until last year, the 30th memorial, uh, sorry, the 30th anniversary of the Stratum Square Massacre, nobody knew what any of the names were of the victims or any of the names of the survivors were. We managed to find them. After 30 years, um, people have said to me, why the hell are you going to bring up all these painful memories? You know, um, um, surely this is time for us to move on. Like I've said before, we can't move on if we haven't healed. We can't move on if we haven't addressed the very problem. And, um, you know, so... Uh, I, I know there are people that I'm very uh, uh, that, that don't care for me at all, and there are people that um, you know um, have have made comments, etc. But you know, ultimately, it's it's bigger than all of us. 
ultimately um, the opportunity to tell a story like this um, has the potential to help other people through pain and, you know, help other people to heal. And, yeah. So. Brad, I've got an interesting one for you. In the book, you talk about what, what, what Stratum said, what, 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 what Barnes said to you on the, on the square that day. And then we talk about in the book, um, the experiences, you talk about it, and the experiences of hearing his father in court. And that comes as a massive surprise because here you think the father is going to, to plead for his son, but instead he turns around and he says, I made this man. Um, I believe in exactly what he believes. Blacks are not humans. And what he did is what I taught him. So that brings me to a very fundamental question. Working in the world that you've worked in, is evil by nature um, a natural phenomena or is it something that's nurtured? Because in this instance, you had Stratum previously holding the head of a decapitated motor vehicle accident um, individual which resulted in him being fired from the police a black man yeah a black man and then um months later he's killing people he was just 23 when he walked onto that square and started to killing people so my question in your world having encountered evil firsthand is it nature or nurture it's nurture absolutely uh you know the this child from a very young age obviously uh you know um his family background he had issues with his mother um you know so there was a lot of uh, um uh you know um unstable uh, uh it was a very unstable environment to grow up in and, you know, with his father, um, you know, being one of the founding members, uh, if I stand to be corrected, of the AWB, um, you know, who, you know, just taught and, and preached hatred and, um, you, you know, very similar to the way that the Nazis did, uh, you know, where anybody of color or or even Jewish people uh, were subhuman. You know, I encountered this as well when we infiltrated WAM, which was the World Apartheid Movement. Um, th- this group was very, very active uh, back in the uh, 80s and, and 90s. You know, these guys were involved with um, supplying the firearm to Valus. Um, and, um, you know, they were also involved with... You know, a plot to assassinate Madiba, which um, we uncovered as well um, through the leadership of um, Major General Andre Lincoln. Uh, you know, and and within those, you know, I had to live with these people for two years. And, you know, the, the reason, um, you know, why it was easy to a certain extent was because of the way people see me and they uh, the perception of me is because I'm big, I'm blonde, and uh, I have Aryan features, etc. And uh, you know, um, and and I had a reputation back then, so you know, I, they wouldn't think twice to to suspect the fact that you know I was actually a deep operative within MK. Um, but, you know, having to listen to this nauseating conversation about, um, 
you know, people of color being subhuman, uh, you know, it was very, t- uh, um, was, was, was very emotionally tiring on me, you know, from time to time because, uh, you know, you hear so much hatred constantly, constantly all the time. Then you start thinking about it and then, you know, I'd have to pull myself away from that evil and, um, yeah, but we accomplished what we needed to. So yeah, it's ingrained. Bizarrely, Stratum's father found the AWB too soft and founded Order Budafork. Which is ah, even more severe, yeah, in terms of its uh, in terms of its structures. Yeah, um, Brad. In closing, this book, I'm sure it's been therapeutic for you, and I'm sure that you've you've been able to work through a lot. But what would your advice be to others out there that have experienced not a similar traumatic incident, but any traumatic incident for for that matter? What should they do, and what kind of support should they be asking for? You know, that's a, a great question because, you know, there's, there's a variety of different, um, types of, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Some of them, you know, um, you know, people have experienced through home invasions. Yeah. Specifically in South Africa. You know, um, I, I, I'll talk of this and, you know, that is my sister just lost her husband in October. While I was here in South Africa, while we were doing the um, uh, research and preparation for the 30th year anniversary of the Stratum Square Massacre, my brother-in-law was murdered on our family farm in down in Nelspreet. And, um, you know, my sister had to witness this. My sister had to dis- discover what had happened. And... The immense toll that it's taken on her, the immense toll that it would take on anybody, the immense toll that it's going to, you know, that, that it takes on, on people on, in the townships that, that have their children killed in front of them or, or loved ones killed in front of them, um, or suburbs across South Africa, you know, it's, 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 Something that is is very difficult to live with. Um, my suggestion in this day and age is to go and seek help. There's nothing wrong with seeking help. There should be no stigma attached um, to to mental health. And you know, it's 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 amazing. We take such care, good care of our bodies. We go to the gym, etc. But we also need to take good care of our minds. So go and get help. Um, also learn how to empower yourself, uh, you know, learn how to protect yourself, learn how to defend yourself, you know, fight. And if you need to flight, you know, it's, it's about, my mother used to say life is what you make of it. And, um, but unfortunately that's not the case all the time. You know, we, we, you know, we have to empower ourselves and we have to take care of ourselves. And we can't just let expect the government to do it as well. You know, we need to learn how to protect ourselves. Undercover with Mandela's Spies, the story of the boy who crossed the square, is currently available 
at all good bookstores. The official launches in three of our major cities, Tuesday the 4th of June 2019 from 6 to 8 p.m. at Exclusive Books at the Waterfront in Cape Town, Thursday the 6th of June 2019, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Exclusive Books in Hyde Park, Thursday the 13th of June 2019, um, 6 to 8 p.m. at Exclusive Books in Brooklyn, Pretoria. Guaranteed a riveting, riveting read. Bradley Stane, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, guys, please pull in and come and see us. Uh, there'll be some fascinating people who will be at these book launches as well. And, um, you know, you can actually um, get it from the horse's mouth as well. And um, I just wanted to thank everybody for their support. And um, like I said before, if you have a dream, if you want to write something, if you want to do something, just stick at it. And uh, if I can do it, you can do it. Bradley, thank you so much. You've been listening to Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. I'll be back same time, same place, right here next week.